Thanks for joining us here in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. Surprise! You have probably heard us say a couple of times that we are not just a church on Sundays. We are a church all week long. And this past week, um, some of our ladies had the privilege to to go over uh, to O'Fallon and be a part of a half a day event. Incredible. Uh, Loved hearing the testimonies. On Thursday, a group of us went down to Marion uh, the IBSA was putting on a walk through the Bible event, incredible, something you're going to be seeing here at our church uh, next year, absolutely. You'll probably be seeing it in other churches here in Illinois. And so I was blessed, and I want to bless someone else today. And so while we were there, they uh, gave everybody that came a um, study Bible. All right, and so I've got about 20 Bibles, um, probably 15 of them study Bibles, and, and so this is what we mean by a study Bible. It's, it's got a lot of stuff in here. If you are here this morning and you've ever, matter of fact, you're probably this week or within the last couple of weeks were um, probably desiring a study Bible, if you would raise your hand, Mr. Matt, come up here, Miss Kathy, come on up here. Yep, yeah, that might you might want to send Kevin for that because I'm going to have these guys arm wrestle for this Bible. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to make you arm wrestle anybody. Hey, Kevin, before you get up here, I want you to walk down there and grab that other one that's sitting right there. Uh, thank you for all you do here, and I hope that uh, God blesses you in that. I hope that God blesses you and Kathy. That's for Kathy. Okay. You take that back to her. Thank you. Come back next week. There might be another one. I don't know. If you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 6. Revelation, chapter 6. Let me pray. God, I just ask that you heard the worship that we lifted up. God, we exalt you, for it is from you that all things were created. Lord, we don't understand many times you're working, but God, we submit to it and we acknowledge it. And God, I pray that you would just give me clarity of thought. I pray that those that are here, those that are watching online, they would hear your message. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this week I am covering, this week and next week, the tribulation. Um. It has many different names in Scripture. The day of the Lord is one of the names that was given to it. The day of the vengeance of God, that's not a subject that we probably want to hear about. But folks, we need to understand and know that this is a reality. The time of Job's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, which I've pointed out to you many times, and I'll do so again today. The time of the end, the great day of his wrath the hour of his judgment, 
the end of the world, the indignation, the desolation of abomination, the time of trouble has never seen before. So over these two weeks, I have broken it up into two different topics, and this week I want to talk to you about the personalities of the tribulation, and next week I want to talk to you about the great tribulation or God's wrath. And so hold your place in Revelation chapter 6. I'm just going to read you a couple of verses. These are at the top of your note taker. You can go back and look at them, but I'm going to go through them very quickly. Because there is more scripture written on the topic that I'm going to talk to you about, this seven-year period called the tribulation, than any other time period in the history of man. Since that's the case, it probably behooves us to take heed to what God's word says about that. In Daniel 9, 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people. It's talking about the people of Israel and your holy city. It's talking about Jerusalem. To finish the transgression and put to end an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Hosea 1.15 says these words, I, and this is referring to Jesus, will return again to my place until they, Israel, acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress earnestly seek me. There is coming a time on this earth of distress that none of us have ever heard, thought, or imagined. Jesus said these words in Matthew 24 and 21, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Jesus was quoting Daniel in chapter 12 and verse 1, and I'll read that. And at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. See, that's a beautiful message that we add on to, or we see this added on to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Because the reality is this, you will never ever face the wrath of God until you have first rejected God's mercy. We live in a world, we live in a culture that mocks ridicules, scoffs, and questions the existence of God because of the wrath that we read about in God's Word. And they walk right past the verses of mercy. They stroll right past those topics of grace. And church, I want you to hear these words very clearly. You'll never have to face the wrath of God unless... You reject his mercy. Revelation chapter 6, I want to begin reading. Today I want to teach for a little while, and then I'm going to preach for about five minutes. Can you say amen to that? Amen. <laughs> and, and most of you are calling me a liar right now. I know that. You know what it means when a pastor looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. 
Someone's hungry. All right, Revelation chapter 6, I'm going to start reading in verse 1 and 2. It says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened up the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like a thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow. And I want you to note that there are no arrows with this. And a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. The person riding this white horse is clearly identified as what we have in the church have come to call the Antichrist. There are a lot of names. You'll hear me use many of those today. Um, And I will talk about the Antichrist in more detail in just a few minutes. Continuing in Revelation 6 and verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And out came another horse bright red, its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. We complain about Facebook spats. We complain about family reunions and people arguing with each other. I'm here to tell you, folks, we have no idea how bad it's going to get when this red horse is released. On to verse 5. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, that is a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And do not harm the oil and wine. Our earth is going to encounter a time of famine during this seven years that we have never seen in any time on this earth. We've heard of regional famines, but we're going to see a worldwide one for those who are still here. And then continuing in verse 7. It says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. If you go to the Greek, that word pale was translated from the Greek word chloris, which is the word we get chlorophyll from. And it's actually a green horse. Matter of fact, when you see somebody who is sick to their stomach, you, you say, you look pale. And, or you may even say, they look green around the gills. This is what this horse will look like. Listen to this. And its rider's name was Death. And Hades, or hell, followed him. I want you to, there's a reason why it's very clear on both of these. Because death will, has a, it's talking about the physical body. And hell is talking about our souls. And they were given, death and hell was given, authority over one-fourth of the earth. Today, there are almost 8 billion people that walk on this planet. If this were to happen now, that would be 2 billion people dead. Now, folks, last year we were scared and told that things were going to get bad. Not like this bad. See, God doesn't put out a false advertisement. He doesn't put out Information that doesn't going to happen. The Bible says that the word of God always comes back 
in its fullness. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence. You know, uh, I began this series telling you, remember context. When preachers preached on this in the 1980s, they immediately talked about nuclear war. Most of you don't think about or worry about a nuclear conflict. In the 80s and 90s, that was a big deal. Today, we don't. Do you know where the closest nuclear fallout shelter is? Not a clue. Go back 20 years, and that was all they talked about. Every building had it stamped on it. Today, in 2021, we know what pestilence could look like. Now, we have been told that there is a virus, a pandemic that has hit our nation. I just want you to understand something. For the last 10 years of my military career, we were aware of multiple different pandemics that were going to hit the United States, and they never did. And they certainly never reached the level that of a pandemic. But folks, God's word says that there's a pestilence coming. And it'll have the power of one-fourth of the human population. And then it closes, and by wild beasts of the earth. If you go to Genesis chapter 9 and verse 2, I'm not going to read it. I would encourage you to write that down in your notes. But after Noah and his family came off of the ark, God told them that the fear and the dread of humans would be put upon all animals. See, before the flood, animals would just, I mean, the fiercest animal you could think of would just walk up to you, and it's like going to a petting zoo. When this seal is broken, I don't want to be over by your farm. I'm afraid Pedro is not going to be as nice as Pedro normally is. You're going to find out that the the wild animals that avoid us, I remember Carrie and I, we were running uh, one morning in Florida, and a couple of coyotes were running the same path. We kept going that way, and they kept going that way. One day, those same wild beasts aren't going to be afraid of man. To the tune of one-fourth of the human population will die. I don't know if you were keeping notes, but The first horse was white, the second horse was red, the third horse was black, and the final horse was green. If you do a Google search on flags, you'll find out that all of these flags have those four and only those four colors, Afghanistan, Iraq, Jordan, Kuwait, Syria, the United Arab Emirates, and Palestine. I don't think that that's an accident, folks. Back to Revelation chapter 6, reading in verse 9. And when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness that they had borne. They cried with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long will you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. 
During this time of tribulation, those who remain on this earth, they will give up their lives to claim the name of Christ. Continuing in verse 11. And when he had opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, I don't know how many people have been in California or how many people have been anywhere where there was an earthquake. And probably it might have been scary for a few seconds or minutes, but the Bible here calls it a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth, and the full moon became like blood. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. I don't know if you realize this, but you may have heard about the San Andreas Fault. Geologists believe that the entire state of California, everything west of that San Andreas Fault, were actually created from debris from the flood. And one day, that, and probably when this earthquake happens, we talk about that all the time. When is that one going to erupt? And when it does, Arizona becomes lake or oceanfront property. That's how big of an earthquake is going to be coming to this earth. In verse 15, it says, The kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and powerful hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. Now, many of you may not be aware of this, but there are multiple mountains that have been drilled out back in the 60s and 70s to save the population from nuclear holocaust. Those are still active to this day. Matter of fact, um, they are utilized by many. Matter of fact, many of the rich and many of those who um, are wealthy, this is where they're going. They know that when, when things get bad on the earth, this is where they're going to hide. But listen to this. It won't be just them, but it'll be everyone's slave and free. It won't be just the wealthy who find a, a place to go and hide in the mountains. Everybody will try to get into these mountains and hide themselves. Why? Listen to this in verse 16. Calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Now, here, ladies and gentlemen, this is what is coming to earth. This is what is happening in the very near future. We see hurricanes and we, we, we are in awe at the power that they have, but yet we have yet to see God's wrath poured out on this earth. The Bible clearly recognizes the people that are remaining on earth clearly recognize who is causing the problems. It's two people. He that is seated on the throne, that's God the Father, and from the wrath of the Lamb, that's Jesus Christ. The one that was mocked 
the one that was crucified, the one that died for each of us. That's who they will be fearing. When you look at Revelation chapter 6, and when you see these seals, it could be a scary proposition. Turn over to Revelation chapter 7. And after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth. And no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. And then there's some verses there that it goes through, 12,000 from each tribe. And down in verse 9, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. These 144,000 that are identified in the first five verses, they are going to be evangelists that you have never seen before in your life. They are going to cover every continent on this nation. And the result of the work that they do is what you read in verse 9. They'll result in every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, one group of people is going to be cursing he who sits on the throne and the Lamb, and another group is going to be praising. One group is going to experience the wrath of God, and one group is going to fall on the mercy of God. And they're saying amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes from where have they come? Have you ever done that to one of your children? Ask them a question that you knew the answer to? And you knew they didn't know the answer, but you wanted to make it a teaching moment. That's what just happened here. In verse 14, John answers, he said, I said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. While this will be one of the most fierce times on the planet earth, it will also be a time of great revival. You see, God doesn't care who, what jobs, how much money you have. What God cares about is your soul. God cares about the souls of those beside you. God cares about the souls of those who you hang out with on a regular basis. That's what God cares about. Not that you got the promotion. That's what God cares about. Not that you fill in the blank. Probably the things that you spend more time praying for. Not that he can't. 
Not that he won't. But if you ask God, he would tell you what's most important to him. And it's the souls of men and women. That's why Jesus died on the cross. Continuing in verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I wonder, what regrets could they have that they're crying in heaven? I wonder, did Noah have tears when the door was shut? For 120 years, he preached. He pleaded. He begged. And yet, it was only his son and their wives that joined him. I will imagine that there are going to be people who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. They're going to give their life as a martyr during this time of the tribulation. And the tears that they shed are for those that didn't make that same decision. Chapter 8 of Revelation, verses 1 and 2, read about the seventh seal. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. This is something that is, doesn't happen there much because of all of the praising, all of the singing, all of the worshiping. Church, if you didn't enjoy this morning's worship, you better get used to it because that's what heaven is going to be like. You won't be sitting on a cloud with wings and in a bow and arrow wondering what to do. What you'll do is you'll see Jesus and you'll fall down in worship. And then I saw the seven angels who stand before God and the seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire and from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. If you look over these seven seals, I think what you just saw was an overview of the seven-year period called the tribulation. In the beginning, you see the four horsemen are released to do what they're going to do. In the middle, we hear about the martyrs for God. We see the calamity that comes upon this earth. We hear about 144,000 evangelists. And at the end, we just read about the fruit. A number that cannot even be numbered of those who came to know Jesus Christ because of their ministry. So today, as I share with you about the tribulation, the personalities of the tribulation, I've, I've just shared one group, and that was the 144,000 witnesses. 
Turn over to Revelation chapter 11 as I share with you the second group. And these are called the two witnesses. Oh, this is a good story, folks. If you love a good movie where the good guy ends up being overtaken by the bad guy and then ultimately comes back and wins the day, this is a story you want to hear. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff, and I was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city, which is Jerusalem, for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. 1,260 days in a Jewish calendar is equivalent of three and a half years. That's the same equivalency of 42 months. And then he goes on to explain, these are the two olive trees in verse 4 and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. Second Kings chapter 1, we hear of a story where Elijah had told the king he wasn't going to recover from his um, sickness. And the king sent 50 men to uh, confront and bring and drag Elijah He's probably going to kill him. Those 50 men saw Elijah sitting up on a mountain. I don't know. Did he have his legs crossed? Was he just sitting there under a tree? But as they got close, they they asked him, are you the man of God? And Elijah said, if I'm the man of God, let fire come down and destroy you. All 51 men died, fried. Eventually, The king found out about this. He sent another 50 men. That captain did the same exact thing, the same exact result. And now 102 men lay there on the earth, dead from fire that Elijah pronounced. Well, the king, it wasn't hurting him. So he gets another group of 50 men and he sends them out to Elijah. And this one has a different story. And he says, I know that you're the man of God. The evidence is right here. Have mercy on me and my men. And then God told him, go with him. That's what's going to be happening when people come against these two witnesses. And you can bet they will. Many times, I would imagine, during those 1,260 days, here's why. They have the power to shut the sky in verse 6, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying. They have power over waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit, this is Satan himself, will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt. He's talking about Jerusalem, where their Lord was crucified. Verse 9, listen to this. For three and a half days, some of the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents. 
That's what evil looks like. Three men who proclaim the message of God for three and a half years, and every time something is brought against them, they destroy it. And every time that they, that happens, they probably pronounce another curse. And they discomfort people so that when they're killed and their bodies are left there on the ground for everybody to see, they'll rejoice. Not just rejoice, but it'll be like Christmas where they'll get, send gifts to one another. Aren't you glad those two are gone? I know that many talk about, well, who are these two? I don't care who they are. This is what they'll do. Oh, but the story isn't over there. Go to verse 11. But after three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. Boy, have you guys heard that anywhere before? Go back to Revelation 4, verse 1. I think that's what we'll hear right before the rapture. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. And the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. The rest in the city of Israel, these are Jewish people, gave glory to the God of heaven. The same one that they've mocked, the same one that they ridiculed, the same one that they missed when he came and died for us. It's at this point that they recognize. It's not during the three and a half years of their ministry it's at this point when they realize that they missed the Messiah. And it's at this point that they will fall on the mercy of God. Flip the pages a couple to Revelation chapter 13. I want to introduce you to another group called the Unholy Trinity. We know the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Our enemy, all he wants to do is imitate what God has done. Not only does he imitate it, but then he twists it and he changes it. And so the old unholy Trinity is composed of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Let me introduce you a little bit better to Satan himself. In Revelation chapter 13, I'll be reading verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and the blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, its mouth like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. The dragon is referred to as Satan. If you go back one chapter in Revelation 12, verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. You see, there's two myths about Satan. Number one is that he doesn't exist. There are people that will tell you that they don't believe in the devil. 
And you know what? They don't have to. But one day, they will believe in Jesus Christ. And the second myth is that many people believe that Satan has powers that he doesn't, that he's omnipresent. The reality is Satan can be only one place at one time. Ephesians 6.12 tells us how we're supposed to deal with this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. The problem is, too many times here at Crossroads Church, here in Centralia, here across our nation, we wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with each other. We wrestle with our families. We wrestle with our friends. Ephesians 6.12 says we got it wrong. We We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. Tonight, during Going Deeper at 5 o'clock, I would encourage you, if you have any interest, I'm going to be talking about the supernatural world. Folks, there is stuff going on that, that we should be aware of as saints, as Christians, as followers of Christ. Ephesians 6.12 says, quit fighting with each other and start resisting the enemy. The problem is that this fight that is happening is unrecognized by most people. Yet this spiritual battle affects the life of every person on this earth, especially those who claim the name of Jesus. We live in a time when America is in a moral freefall because of spiritual warfare, and we have no clue that it's going on. This spiritual warfare is guised in politics, it's guised in pandemics, it's guised in relationships. This pandemic of COVID that has been cast upon us uh, is one tool of the enemy, and all he wants to do is divide us. And we let him. We let him divide us. We let him divide husband and wife Mother and daughter, father and son, brother against brother. That ought not so to be. Let me share with you some of the strategies of this evil Satan. From the beginning of time, he has had strategies to try to destroy what God has put in place. In Genesis chapter 3, when it was pronounced upon him that through the line of Adam and Eve, he would be destroyed, he turned out to try to destroy all humankind. But here's what I want you to know. For every strategy that Satan had, God had a plan. And God's plan always works. So Satan here tried to corrupt all of human life on this earth. God had a plan and a name of a guy called Noah And the Bible says that he was perfect in all his generations. After the flood, after the rulers of this earth were rejected, God chose a man named Abraham that he would use his bloodline to bring Jesus Christ into the world. When Satan got that news, he tried to kill out Abraham's family with a famine. Now, y'all have read that a lot of times in the Bible, and you thought, well, it's just a famine not even thinking that behind that famine was the enemy. But even with that strategy, God had a plan in the form of Joseph. Joseph was used 
by God through the evil of his brothers throwing him and casting him and selling him into slavery. A couple hundred years later, Satan knows that the children of Israel are about to get released and that the the deliverer of Israel is coming. And so he convinces Pharaoh to kill off all the young children in the Israelite tribes. But even when Satan had this strategy, God had a plan in Moses. And right underneath Satan's nose, Moses got raised in the house of the very man that Satan tried to use to kill all of the children. Eighty years later, Moses comes back. The children of Israel are released, and Satan is not done. And so he has Pharaoh change his mind and chase them down. But you see what? God had a plan. It's called the Red Sea. And Pharaoh and his army were destroyed. During that 400 years of the Israelites being in Egypt, Satan had been populating the promised land with evil. You probably have read the scriptures where God told Joshua to kill everybody, man, woman, and child. And you probably wonder, why would he do that? And you just don't understand the evil, the Satanism that was going on in that area. And so here he populated Canaan with all of that evil, and yet God undid that plan in one city called Jericho. And then time after time again. Fast forward a couple hundred years, and there is David who is promised to be in the lineage of Christ. And Satan tries to snuff out the line of David through a man named Haman who had this plan to kill all of the Jews. But yet Satan's strategy was foiled because God had a plan in Esther. Go forward a couple more hundred years and you see Herod doesn't like the fact that the king of the Jews has been born. And so he has a plan to kill all of those under the age of three. But yet God had a plan and he used three wise men who weren't from the nation of Jerusalem or Israel, but yet had been taught years and years and decades and decades and centuries and centuries before by a man named Daniel about the Messiah and what would be the signs of his coming. In Nazareth, Satan had a plan where he tried to get the people to stone Jesus. It didn't work. When Jesus was on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples twice, there was a storm that came up against them. Now, I just want you to understand, it wasn't a normal storm. This is a storm that was brought on by the satanic and demonic realm of this earth. And Jesus said, peace, be still. And then a few years later, on a hill called Calvary, Satan had a plan. I got him. He killed him. And little did he know that God's plan, three days later, was revealed. So 
So for 2,000 years, the existence of the church has been in place. The whole reason is for us to tell others about what's happened in our heart. I get it. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But that doesn't change what Jesus did in your heart. No one's going to go to heaven because you lived a good life. No one's going to go to heaven because you quit cussing. No one's going to go to heaven because you quit. You figure it out. They're going to go to heaven because they fell on the mercy of Jesus, just like each of us. Last week, I shared with you that jack-in-the-box and how that it surprises us when it pops out. And yes, it will be a surprise to us, but the reason that it's going to be a surprise isn't really for us. It's for our enemy. It's for Satan. Satan will be surprised when the rapture of the church happens and he'll realize that he is going to be on the clock. It's his two-minute warning. And when that happens, he is going to be set on worldwide extermination. And he's going to try to do this through a man that we'll call the Antichrist. Revelation 13, and I saw a beast, verse 1, rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like bears and its mouth like a lion's mouth. And to the dragon it gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, for its, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, Satan, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? Now trust me, they're not going to be calling him a beast. This is going to be a world leader who is one that everybody loves. Everybody loves wants to listen to. Everybody likes the ideals that he brings forth. But here's the reality. Satan has had multiple super kingdoms. When in Egypt, he had the Pharaoh. In Assyria, he had a man named Xerxes. In Babylon, it was Nebuchadnezzar. In Persia, Darius. In Greece, Alexander the Great. And in Rome, it was multiple general after general. And one day, we believe there will be the revived Roman Empire where This Antichrist, one that is called the Assyrian in many Old Testament prophecies, will rise. And he will experience world power like we've never seen before. None of those nations that I mentioned before will be as robust and have reach like he will. Continuing in verse 5 in Revelation 13, And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. 
I've read to you Daniel 9, 27 many times where it talks about this man will establish a covenant with the nation of Israel for seven years. Isaiah 28, 18 calls that a contract with death. And it won't be until one halfway, time, halfway through that seven years 42 months, 1,260 days, when those prophets that spoke the word of God for that entire time until they see them come back to life and go to heaven in front of everybody, they'll follow the beast. Second Thessalonians verses chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 says it this way, let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed. It's interesting that this word lawlessness, and you'll find it if you study in prophecy about the Antichrist. It talks about the seven-year tribulation as being a time of lawlessness. Not that people are breaking laws, that there are none. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still there with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Verse 6, and you know what is restraining him. That is the Holy Spirit. Many people incorrectly teach that the Holy Spirit will be removed. The Holy Spirit was here from the beginning of time. He was here through every book in the Bible. He was there with Jesus every step of the way. He will be here until the until eternity. But one thing he won't do is restrain the lawless one. The gloves will be taken off of Satan. When those seals begin to be opened, that is when Satan will be given his reign on this earth. He's got the authority. It's said over and over again, who gave him that authority? Adam and Eve gave it to him. Because it was given to Adam and Eve and they handed it over to Satan when they chose to sin. And from that time, this has been Satan's domain. And yet God chose to use the rules of this earth that he had put in place and to send his son to become a human and do what we couldn't do to defeat Satan. And then it says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. A, a lot of times you may read this off the cuff and you think, well, that just means they're going to do bad things. I think what that means is they're going to do things that God won't allow them to do right now. I think it's going to get crazy. That's also one of the reasons why people believe. Only he who now restrains in verse 7, it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Jump over to verse 9 of that chapter. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, 
and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love, to love the truth and so be saved. Finally, in verse 11, therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Folks, this is one of the scariest verses that I can read as a preacher. Many ask the question, well, what about those who are left behind? Can they get saved? I would tell you, the Bible says to work out your salvation. The Bible says to study to show yourself approved unto God. I don't like the way that that reads. That's not good news for those who have heard the gospel and rejected it. I don't know. I don't think we will know until that time comes. But that's a scary proposition. In verse 12, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The Bible also tells us about the third person of the Holy Trinity, and we call him the false prophet. And I'll read verses 11 through 18 in Revelation chapter 13. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was, listen, it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. You've heard of the mark of the beast. So that no one can buy or sell. You know, for the last... Ten years of my life, this has been one that I didn't understand. I understand it today. This won't be something just in America, folks. This will be across the globe. Verse 18, this calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of man, and his number is six, six, six. Friends, too many times we get wrapped around the axle trying to figure out, well, who is the Antichrist? What is the mark of the beast? And the reality is this, when the last trumpet sounds and the archangel yells out, come up here, we won't need to worry about who the Antichrist is and what the mark of the beast is. The reality is this, that Satan has kept in store an antichrist for every generation. And this generation is no different. Because he knows that he's got to be ready. Because he reads scripture. He knows the, the results. But yet he still will fight against God. Matthew 24, verse 37. Jesus said these words, For as it were in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. 
I want you to watch this uh, video clip. I want you to listen to the words. I want you to hear the responses. These are your relatives. These are your neighbors. These are your friends, your coworkers. There's a man named Noah, like in the Bible? Right now. The, the Bible Noah? No, I do not believe he existed. So you don't think he built an ark? No, no. I'm very comfortable with my atheism, but I support myths. You think God seen a flood and drowned the whole world? No. <laughs> you don't? No. If he had, would it have been fair to do so? Oh, uh, no. Why would he do that? Uh, well, the Bible says because the heart of man was corrupt, his imaginations were continually evil, and there was great wickedness and violence on the earth. Do you think that's justification for wiping out the whole of humanity, except for Noah and his family? No. Noah, born over 2,700 years BC, was a shipbuilder and a prophet of the century. Many think of Noah and the ark as a story from the past, but did you know that according to Jesus, the events surrounding the life of Noah are directly related to you? Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be with the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, the things that happened in Noah's day will be similar to the things that are going to happen during the time referred to in the Bible as the end of the age. In a moment, you're going to see clearly that the end of the age is happening now. But of all the signs, the one prevalent thing that happened in Noah's day was that people who knew right from wrong chose to ignore Noah's warning of God's coming judgment, such as the way of the 21st century. Do you think there was a man named Noah, like in the Bible? I did for a long time. I don't right now. Uh, I believe there was a man named Noah. Do you think he built an ark? I'm pretty sure that that's kind of a story. Do you think there was a man named Noah, like in the Bible? Ah, there's lots of great stories about it. Do you believe there was a, a man named Noah? Um, I believe at one time there was very likely a man named Noah, whether or not he was a biblical figure and swallowed by a whale. I, I find it statistically difficult to believe that nobody's been swallowed by a whale before, so. It's a lot of animals and a little arg. I mean, you're looking at over a million species out there. I don't find it possible. The boat would have to be like the size of the moon. The scriptures call Noah a preacher of righteousness. His life was prophetic and that the ark was a type of the then coming Christ. And we, like Noah, are preachers of righteousness, warning every man, calling a corrupt world to repentance and faith in Jesus and telling them to be ready for his coming, of which no man knows the hour nor the day. Do you think we're living in the last days? No. No, I don't think so. People said we were going to die in 2012, and we didn't. I believe the whole world is going to come to an end real quickly here. I honestly couldn't care less about when the last days are coming. It'd be nice if the world ended. It's not my concern whether it's tomorrow or a million years from now. Do you know what the signs are of the end of the world? Uh, I know some of them. Tell me, what are they? Chaos. Okay, I'll take that back. No, don't care. Some dude in a horse chariot with like a spear, like going down from the heavens. Weather changes. We got wars and rumors of wars. Definitely the last days. The economy's going crazy. I know there's still bad things happening, but I don't think it's enough for the last days to occur. It's very dark right now. That's what 
our culture believes. It's what our society has embraced. You see, when Satan had a strategy to wipe out mankind, God had a plan through Noah. And then one day, after Noah had preached for 120 years, God told him, in seven days, I'm going to close up the ark. I can imagine that Noah, his fervency increased during those last seven days, trying to get people as well as animals onto the ark. One day, the door is going to close. You're going to be taken off this earth, whether that's when you breathe your last breath or you get called to heaven. And I wonder, who are you leaving behind? I wonder what tears will be in your eyes when you get to heaven, when you think about a mom or a dad a son or a daughter, a brother or a sister. You see, when the rapture happens, we can't put Jack back in the box. The day of God's wrath will come. And I wonder, who do you need to be praying for today? Who wouldn't be getting on the ark with you if you were in Noah's shoes? Who won't be going in the rapture with you? And how much time have you spent praying for their soul? See, I think that's what we're going to cry over. It's what we didn't do that we could have. We're going to cry over that we were more worried about getting the promotion than we were about seeing our neighbors come to church and hear about Jesus Christ. We were more worried about building up our bank account than we were building up the number of names that are in heaven because of our testimony. Worship team, if you'll come forward. I want to do something different today. I know that I've got a lot of names that I'm going to pray for. When the worship team starts praying or singing, I'm going to come up to this altar right here and I'm going to beg God on their behalf. And if there's names on the tip of your tongue in your mind right now, I would ask you to join me. If your health is such that if you got down here, you may not get back up, I would encourage you to come sit on this front row. Church, I applaud you for coming to church today. But it doesn't stop there. This isn't. This, this is a pep rally for us so that we'll go out and get more. What are we doing? What tears will we be crying? And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this to you. Every time I've flown on an airplane, they had this one message that if something bad were to happen and something bad's going to happen soon and the oxygen masks fall down, put yours on first, then help those beside you. And I'm here to tell you
that if you don't know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you better get that squared away. Because it doesn't matter how many other people you want to see get to heaven if you don't make it. You stand to your feet and join me in prayer. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. And we would love to continue with you on that journey. You see, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight. 